the critical thinker at large, coming at you for another yet. I know it is unbelievable. It is hard to even conceive of. But I am coming at you for another hour of podcasting power here on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and with video here on YouTube. Okay, guys. (laughs) Um, So I think this is an episode that people have been waiting a long time for, um, and one I have certainly been waiting a long time to do, and I realized recently that I could actually do this as a podcast. It was probably most appropriate in this format to do it in a podcast format, because, um, you know, in some recent Q&As, I've been reading a little bit more from the scriptures of Scientology. And I realized that uh, that that's that's pretty good. Sometimes let now Ron Hubbard do the talking, as I have done in many, many of my videos where I've quoted extensively from his works or the works of the official Church of Scientology, which is needs to be known that there's a lot of stuff in Scientology that was not written by L. Ron Hubbard, but has been written by other people and published under the um Oh, I don't know what the word is, the fancy word. But anyway, under the seal or authorization of the Church of Scientology International. And um, there are various units within the upper levels of Scientology that can issue various types of written orders and directives and guidelines. And so these um, issues that we're going to go over today having to do with the RPF, the Rehabilitation Project Force, um, this is kind of a kind of a big deal in Scientology, specific and certainly in the Sea Org. Now there has been, um, you know, years ago there were some question marks about whether the RPF is still an active program that is being run within the Sea Organization, and I can't tell you one way or the other with any degree of certainty at this point whether it's true or not that the RPF still exists. However. If we go to first principles about destructive cults and about the Sea Org specifically, then I think we see pretty quickly, and, and I was a Sea Org member for 17 years, um, which is the highest level of Scientology. It's the most committed, most dedicated, most you know gung-ho, fanatical um, people about the subject of Scientology. So if if the Sea Org is what I believe it to be based on my experience with it, um, then it is in its nature to have a program like the RPF, to feel that such a program is necessary and effective and important, and that if it were canceled from on high, I'm pretty sure that something else like it would quickly fall into place to substitute for it if it didn't just simply come back. Um, It's too effective and good at what it does. And what it does is it re-educates Sea Org members into a fanatical devotion to the Sea Org, or at least that is its purpose. Most of the people, to to be totally, you know, starkly, bluntly honest about this from my own experience and from what I saw and heard and have read from the experiences of others, most people who end up on the RPF don't actually get through it. 
It takes years of dedicated work. There is no one who is going to get through the RPF program in a few months. It is a years-long program as it's laid out and as we're going to go over. And for me, it took uh, about three and a half, a little less than three and a half years. I knew people personally on the same RPF program I was on who took 10 years to do it. Um, that was the longest I ever heard of was 10 years. And that was two people. And uh, one of them graduated and the other one did not. Um, the, the two who were twinned up working together on it. And that's how the program works is you work with another Sea Org member. We'll get into all the specifics of this. I've, I have done a few podcasts in the past talking about the specifics of the RPF, some of the outrageous stories and nonsense that goes on there. I've, I did um, some work with uh, Aaron Smith-Levin, um, who did not do the RPF, but we talked about it since we were both fellow ex-Sea Org members, and with Nora Crest, who um, I've had on my podcast a few times. And she was hilarious, had some very, very good, funny, interesting, tragic stories about the RPF, and she was on it. She got through that program as I did. And um, anyway, there's just so many things to be said about it, and I'm going to walk you through it here. So I guess we should just kind of get right to it rather than me trying to continue to to summarize what it is, um, except to, except let me let me let me contextualize it with this, and then and then we'll get into what Sea Org members are told when they read about the RPF and how it's supposed to be done. I have the entire series of issues. There's more than one. It's a whole series of issues that break down all the different aspects, rules, guidelines, and. Um, and even uh, the technical actions that occur on the RPF. Um, a summary, a, a really nice summary statement of it is the Rehabilitation Project Force is a group of people who are Sea Org members only. Non-Sea Org members do not do the RPF. Um, there are non-Sea Org members who are put through some physical hell and are made to do physical punishments and um, degrading actions and stuff like that as part of punishments or atonement or, quote-unquote, making up the damage for some, you know, imagined or real wrong that they have committed. But the RPF is its own thing, and it, and it only exists at the level of the Sea Organization. And I've clarified this many times, but let me also add that we are not talking about the whole. And the whole, H-O-L-E, the whole, was David Miscavige's invention. And that was, that was not even a, a programmed list of actions that people were expected to do. It was just pure torture. And that was uh, set up at the gold base in San Jacinto, California, and that's been that was featured in the Going Clear documentary. Leah and Mike have talked about it. Mike Rinder was in the hole, and he spoke from his own personal experience, as have other survivors. That's what half of the Going Clear documentary was about, and and it was quite well covered. But that's not the RPF. The RPF is a is a segregated, structured program that is that exists within the world of the Sea Organization for people who have screwed up and have, have majorly violated the morals and rules of the Sea Org and are going to be punished for it. And they, they, this is under the Orwellian guise of rehabilitation. 
and it's pretty screwed up. In fact, the RPF as a whole is the single most concentrated worst part of Scientology as a, as a body or institution. The whole was actually worse, but that was a temporary affair. And as far as we know, I, do, I don't even know if the whole is still around as such. We know it doesn't still exist in the double-wide trailers with the prison and then the bars on the windows and stuff. I mean, there's been drone footage, and people have been keeping an eye up on San Jacinto. And also, Miscavige isn't even on that base a whole lot anymore, according to all the reports we're hearing coming out of the church. So we 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 believe— we meaning the you know the other critics and and community members in the ex Scientology world that I've been in touch with, I, th I think it's generally believed that the whole was sort of broken up after Miscavige um, after the public exposure of what Miscavige was doing, and in order to give himself some degree of um, of uh, you know separation from it and and get away from all that and 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 uh, you know free himself from any liability connected with it. I think he shut it down, and I don't know what how it's what what's being done with those people now. Probably something similar, but um, again, I can't really talk intelligently about that. But I can talk intelligently about the RPF. So let's go ahead and get into it. I thought that. Um, First, a little history, okay? The RPF goes back to 1974. That's when it started in the Sea Org, back when they were still out on boats, out sailing around in the Mediterranean and off the coast of Europe. And then they, and I think 77, they came over to America and settled in Clearwater and stopped being an ocean-based activity. But up until then, they were out on the water and the RPF was on the boats and it was a deck work kind of program where somebody was sort of plucked off of their post, put onto this DEX work where they were working on hard physical labor and auditing rehabilitation actions in order to get themselves cleaned up, fixed up, decompress a bit from their post or their job, and um, and, and then get on with it. And what I heard from people who were there at the time is that this was a weeks or months long activity, not years. It was not the same program it is now. In fact, a lot of the auditing actions, the, the Scientology counseling actions that are done on the RPF didn't even exist back in 1974. They were developed later. The original action of the RPF dealt with diving into what was wrong with the person and fixing them using Scientology but it wasn't that what was perceived as wrong with the person wasn't the same thing as what's perceived as wrong with them now, which we'll go over. But it mostly has to do with evil purposes or evil intentions. The idea with the RPF is you have screwed up as a Sea Org member and you screwed up so bad that it must have been your destructive impulses and evil intentions that caused you to screw up that badly, and you therefore cannot be trusted to continue on your job, and we have to remove you from that job, segregate you out away from the crew, sequester you away with the rest of the rabble, and you guys get to fix each other up. That's bluntly what it's about. Now, um, let's get into the specifics of how this is described uh, within the world of Scientology. And we're going to do that by reading a series of flag orders or reading excerpts from them. I'm just going to walk through them one at a time here and select bits and pieces and sort of throw things at you guys to give you the flavor and idea of how this thing runs. This is um, 
based on a series of issues called flag orders. Scientology has a panoply of issue types. The Hubbard Communications Office policy letters were broad policy meant for all Scientology organizations, whereas the flag orders were specific to the Sea Org and um, could be and were written by lots of different people. But predominantly, they were, you know, originally Hubbard and and mostly uh, were him, but they don't have to be. And so we have this series of flag orders that were written in 1997. This is when this was issued. And this was the new and improved and revised RPF program as of 1997. And the whole thing was sort of pictured as a sort of a pilot program It had been more extensive earlier, less extensive earlier. There were lots of flavors of the RPF over the years. And the RPF was used as a workforce because they spend the bulk of their time doing hard physical labor. And so they could be utilized as a construction crew or a demolition crew or a ground keeping crew or lots of other work that they could end up doing as a unit or divided up into various units. And... Um, and so this was kind of, you know, sort of the the prison chain gang. If you have that kind of vision of or idea or concept, that would be pretty accurate for what the RPF is within the Sea Org. So the flag orders that I'm reading from here were the RPF that I did. This were the rules I followed. This was the procedure I did. And this, as far as I know, was the procedure from 1997 all the way forward until supposedly it was canceled in the, um, I, I guess, within the last five years or so. Again, I don't know if that's true. And if it is true, I don't know if it's still true. But let's go ahead and walk through this because if there, um, if there is an RPF uh, still going, then this is probably how it's going. And if it's not, well, this is how it went. And I thought you guys would be interested in it. Um So let me read you a little bit, starting from the very first RPF flag order, to give you the flavor of how they talk about this within the world of Scientology. And again, flag orders, by the way, are confidential for Sea Org members. What I'm reading you is something that not general Scientologists would ever see or read unless they download it on the internet where it's where the stuff is is posted but it's not generally available for Scientology public only Sea Org members have access to or ready access to flag orders so your regular Joe and Sally Sue Scientologist they could plausibly deny that any of this is true because they've never even seen or read these things however All Scientologists have probably heard in one way or another about the RPF program, but few of them would have been exposed to this information. So let's get going. All right, here we go. Never before has any organization provided a means for members who have failed the trust of the group to actually redeem themselves and terminatedly handle the cause of their destructive actions. Terminatedly handle is a favorite catchphrase within Scientology. It means to end, to to deal with something in such a way that you are never, ever going to have to deal with it again. You terminatedly handle it, okay? Um, Used to hear that all the time. Only the C organization, using LRH's technology, 
extends this opportunity to its group members through the Rehabilitation Project Force program. So the way this is positioned is it's an opportunity. It's not punishment. It's not um, that you are being put into slave labor. It's not that you're being made, you know, that you're being trafficked, which you are. It is an opportunity, right? The Orwellian doublespeak on this is going to blow you guys away. The objective of the RPF program is to restore to the individual his value to the group and to himself and to free him for forever from any compulsion to commit harmful acts against his dynamics. And dynamics in Scientology is a term meaning the, the various areas or, or uh, compartments of your life. The first dynamic is you yourself. The second dynamic is your family, your your immediate, your kids, your wife, your spouse, whatever, your um, your mom, your dad, your cousins, like your family. That second dynamic, anything having to do with sex, that's the second dynamic. Groups that you're part of are the third dynamic. Mankind is the fourth dynamic. You see the concentric circles that spread out from you as an individual out to eventually encompass all of life itself. And that, those are the dynamics. So the idea here is to free you from any compulsion to commit harmful acts against your dynamics. In other words, to, to commit sins. To further advance this objective and provide a fully standardized means of achieving it, a meticulous search through all LRH writings and church policy on the subject of the RPF was conducted with the aim of codifying its technical and administrative lines. The result is a new series of flag orders regarding the Rehabilitation Project Force that is verified as totally on source, with all possible arbitraries standing in the way of a staff salvage action removed. Okay, so on source, that means that it is according to L. Ron Hubbard's wishes and directives and with no corruption or taint or anything like that, on source. L. Ron Hubbard was referred to in Scientology as the source of all of Dianetics and Scientology, so he was called source. That's with a capital S. So if something is totally on source, it means it's completely, you can trust that it is 100% what L. Ron Hubbard said or wanted. And um, so they replaced and canceled all the previous flag orders and this 1997 issue was the new law of the land when it came to how the RPF was going to be put together. First is the very first issue in the series called RPF Series 1, the Rehabilitation Project Force. And here is, I've, I've given you a positioning or a framing for what I think of the RPF. Now, here is what Sea Org members who end up going on to the RPF and doing it or anyone who's curious about it, this is what they read from within the Seorg itself about the RPF. Quote, even if certain crew members as individuals wish to succumb, they have no right whatever to threaten or harm others by grave omissions, ignorance, and errors. No one challenges the right of an individual to succumb but he has no right to injure or murder others by omission or commission. Pretty strong language, huh? Succumb. 
I mean, it sort of sounds like a sort of suicide, and and this is not how people who you know try to try to commit suicide or threaten suicide in the, in the Sea Org are dealt with. They don't go to the RPF. Those guys get kicked out. But this business of succumbing, as though you're just giving up over into apathy, and I give up, and it's all over, and the and the physical universe has beaten us, and the bank has beaten us, and there's nothing we can do. I mean, this is the sort of like, you know, melodramatic sort of attitude you get reading this. And they have no right to harm others. The RPF is an actual fact, continuing to read here. Uh, the RPF is an actual fact, a system of recruiting by taking people off the lines who are blocking things and then not letting them back on lines until they are a valuable operating staff member. When somebody goofs up badly and he's stopping lines and so forth, move him over to the RPF and get him off the lines. Even tech lines, which means if they're auditors or case supervisors or people who are delivering Scientology, um, they're considered the most valuable Scientologists and the most valuable people in the organization are the ones who are actually doing the delivery. Okay, he says that has the virtue of letting the crew itself go on up to OT. Yeah, as though anybody in Scientology is going to OT in the Sea Org. Not all the time is being invested in those goofing badly. So they will move up the lines as they wish, but that gets them off the lines. We now fill in the lines with non-RSing people, and we can keep building it up, and we will build it up toward an OT ship. Okay, now this is going to be an important little technical point here. An RS, a rock slam, okay? Rock slamming people or, what, what, you know, what does that mean? On the Scientology e-meter, you have the needle doing lots of different things. But basically, it goes this way and it goes this way. I mean, it's a needle on a dial. However, there's a particular phenomena that it can occur on a meter from time to time where the needle starts slamming back and forth. As though it's broken. I'm, I'm, I'm making this sort of motion with my finger here. It is wild. It literally looks like the meter's broken. And that's because when an RS occurs, as according to all the research I have been doing on this, and it's been pretty extensive, um, a rock slam is a broken meter. It means there's an electrical short in the meter of some kind. Now, dust can get into the mechanism of the meter and cause a rock slam and then you can move some of the dials around and the dust gets freed up and then the needle stops doing that and so uh, there can be other mechanical contrivances that can occur inside an e-meter to cause a rock slam i can't find any valid evidence i've never been able to find any valid evidence that it that a rock slam is a real mental phenomena or a registration of mental phenomena as far as I can tell, it means your meter got broken or is broken, even if just temporarily, and it displays this crazy electronic this registration. Well, if you're unlucky enough to be on a Scientology e-meter when this happens in the middle of an auditing session, then you have it, the auditor is trained to note down that the meter is rock slamming, you know, do a little test of the meter, and then to make sure it's not mechanically caused, even though, again, it can be, even by the cans. I can wear a ring on my finger, hold the cans, and get a rock slam. 
happening. If I happen to, if it, if it hits the ring, the metal of the ring in the right way, and it kind of shorts it out, you get this rock slam phenomena. So it doesn't have to just be internal into the e-meter either that causes a rock slam. Um, but what the auditor is trained to do is write down what the person's saying exactly as closely as possible to what they're actually saying and note down that the meter is rock slamming, do the little test, and then you know verify it. And if somebody is rock slamming, what that is supposed to indicate is that in their mind, you have hit on a subject or area where there is evil. There are evil intentions or destructive impulses in their spiritual aspect that, you know, towards this subject or area that the person's talking about. And it doesn't really matter what the subject is. Person could be sitting there talking about apples and how much they love apples and bang, bang, bang. Whoa, okay. I guess there's some evil intention about apples or something to do with fruit or some, you know, something like that, right? But more likely they're going to be talking about some person or something or whatever. Because very rarely does anybody who's on an e-meter talk about apples. <laughs> okay, so if this RS turns on, if this rock slam happens in an auditing session and you're in the Sea Org, well, depending on what the subject of the rock slam is, you could end up on the RPF just like that. Because if the subject that you're talking about is, say, L. Ron Hubbard, David Miscavige, Scientology, Scientology executives, Scientology organizations, Dianetics, Mary Sue Hubbard, right? Principles of Scientology, you know, principal leaders or figures or executives of Scientology, right? If you're talking about this kind of stuff and the meter starts rock slamming, then the assumption is that you got something deep inside you, some destructive impulse towards Scientology or its leadership. And that means you have to immediately be removed off the lines because that's what's called a list one rock slam. List one is an actual list of subjects that has L. Ron Hubbard's name on it, Mary Sue's name on it, Scientology, Scientology organizations, all those things I just listed out, and a whole lot more. There are on this list one. Hubbard wrote it back in the 60s. And they then adopted it to this RPF program where they said, if you have a rock slam on any item connected with that list one, then you are labeled a list one rock slammer and you go to the RPF to deal with that. And it doesn't matter how good or bad you're doing at your job. You're out of there because you're a list one rock slammer, okay? And this is why I was so keenly interested in whether this rock slam was a real thing or not in my research on the meter. And as again, I'm telling you as best I can determine as I sit here right now after talking to a lot of people, doing a lot of surveys, looking into this, um, of the ex-Scientology community, Sea Org members, non-Sea Org members, etc. Um, as near as I can tell, the rock slam is a completely fake reaction that has nothing to do with what's going on in the person's head. So imagine the tragedy of being sent to this work stress traffic, you know, human trafficking program because the meter happened to break when you happened to be on it. I mean, that's how bad this can get. And that is how bad Scientology and the Sea Org is. Okay, so getting back to the issue here, now that I've explained rock slams to you, it's a fairly technical thing, and I hope that came across well. 
This says in the issue, we now fill in the lines with non-RSing people. Okay, so people who are not rock slamming, because they assume if you're rock slamming, you're the bad guy. There's not even a question about this within the Sea Org, by the way. It's just, it's immediate and um, actually treated rather urgently if a rock slam comes up. Again, on the list one subjects. If your rock slam comes up on your Aunt Mamie or on dogs or something like that, no one's going to really care too much. But if it's on the subject of Scientology or list one, well, that's not good news. Um, so you can see the attitude here is, okay, you're destructive. You're, you know, you're a bad person. We don't trust you. You have evil, destructive impulses deep within you that maybe you don't even cognit consciously are not even aware of, but they manifest and you do bad things. You destroy things. You mess up projects. You make mistakes. You screw up all the time. Well, this is the reason why is because of your destructive impulses. And so you're going to get separated off to the RPF and we're going to fix that. And it continues to say that's, yes, that's how it was figured out with that combination. So the scene could be changed and it worked. There were actual products coming out after that. You sometimes don't get this done because you don't have anybody standing by to feed in. So you also have to get some recruits in to make this operate, right? Because you're literally removing people out of production areas. So you better have new people coming in to feed into that. Um, now, here's what they say about the history of the RPF. History. The Rehabilitation Project Force came into being on 7 January 1974. Prior to the creation of the RPF, it was found on board FLAG... And Flag was the name of the, the main ship that L. Ron Hubbard was on when he had his little flotilla of ships. It was called Flag or the flagship. And that's why flag orders are called flag orders because they're orders from Flag, the head of the flotilla, right? This is all naval terminology. Prior to the creation of the RPF, it was found on board Flag that a number of PTSs were offloaded, but the RSers who made them so were ignored, and the ship went into treason, a condition of treason. The, the whole ship was, was considered an enemy and not with the program because of these few people who were RSing, and so these other people who were good workers were, you know, subject to or somehow, you know, adversely affected by these RSers who were running around secretly destroying everything. And so they got rid of the PTS folks, but the RSers stayed and everything went to hell. All efforts spectacular on international lines by statistics, all efforts to improve the scene produced little or nothing internally. The reason no improvement could be made was due to unhandled RSs, many of whom were severely destructive and RSers dominant in tech and qual who canceled out any effort to improve things. Okay, so tech is the technical division, qual is the qualifications division. These are the areas where Scientology is delivered to the public or to the staff. So if you have people who are quote-unquote, RSers in that area, they are destroying the crew or the public 
through their errors and bad actions and destructive impulses. They're right there messing up the works, throwing the monkeys into the wrenches and all that. So it says, and this is written as though this is L. Ron Hubbard, okay? My conclusion, quote, quote here, my conclusion was that unless the worst RSers were segregated from the crew, there would be no improvement, hence the RPF. As tech was dominated by RSers, uh, no tech help could be expected under that organization. You see, they just write them off. Oh, you're here 24-7 working your ass off for the Sea Org. You've dedicated the next billion years of your eternity to it. But you have an RS? Get the hell out of here, right? Oh, in fact, Hubbard then goes on to say, your attention is invited to the psychosis bulletin, which gives the behavior of an RSer. You should study this and believe it as it is true. So Hubbard's flat out saying, if an RS shows up uh, during one of your auditing sessions, you are psychotic. So the general plan was to segregate RSers, clean up tech and qual and the ship, and push the producers into OT state and let the destroyers save themselves if they could. Short of that, no hope could be seen. To the RPF are assigned RSers, low OCA non-producers, or repeated stat crashers and overt product makers. Okay, so you're, you're getting a whole lesson here in Scientology terminology. This is the deep Sea Org, unedited, un, you know, the, the, uh, this, is, this is exactly how Sea Org members talk, right? Scientologists talk. So to the RPF are assigned RSers, as I've already explained, low OCA non-producers. So remember that personality test that people take when they go into Scientology? That's called an OCA or an Oxford Capacity Analysis. And if you are low on that graph, then it indicates that you're in a really bad way. And so if you, as a staff member, have a low OCA and are a non-producer, then you're, you're herded in with the other psychotics, right, the RSers, or repeated stat crashers. So let's say you have a job to do. Every job in Scientology, as you guys know, has a statistic connected with it that measures the production that you're doing. And if the stats are going down and down and down and down and nothing seems to be able to get them up, well, obviously it's your fault. And obviously you should be doing something to get that stat going back up. And if you just keep crashing it, well, that's your that's on you. And if you keep doing it and keep doing it, you could end up on the RPF. Uh, and overt product makers, he says. So an overt product is a bad product. It's a, it's a damaged non-working, doesn't, doesn't get the job done kind of product. If, I, if my job is to produce books, because Scientology has a bookmaking facility, and half the books I produced have ripped pages, I would be called an overt product maker. I mean, hell, if I did a run of books and even two of the books had something wrong with them, I'd be called an overt product maker. An overt product is a bad product, so something's wrong with the product. On the other hand, if you're somebody who is delivering courses or auditing and the people you're delivering it to, the Scientologists, aren't happy with the service, have something wrong, can't do the job, go into an auditing session and come out crying, that kind of thing, 
you're an overt product maker as far as services go, you see? So it could be services, could be actual physical products. Either way, you're an, if you're an overt product maker, you're making big, huge mistakes. And so it's the RPF for you. It uh, goes on to write, like industry or any organization or ship before that date, when a crew member stole or embezzled or refused to work, he was simply fired and offloaded. Scientology crew members objected to this. They demanded that provisions be made to rehabilitate the person. They had the idea that a person should be given a choice of being offloaded or rehabilitated. Management at that time acceded to crew demands and formed a rehabilitation project force. It was factually a somewhat expensive decision. I mean, you get the tone of this. We're doing you a favor. <laughs> we should have just offloaded your ass, but instead we spent a lot of money and worked it all out and spent all this time to figure out how to rehabilitate your sorry butt because we thought, well, let's not get rid of you quite yet. Persons so assigned are to have five hours a day for study or auditing. They are to learn tech and get themselves handled in co-audit. Co-audit is cooperative auditing. Like I said, you work with another person on the RPF. They audit you. You audit them. We'll go over in detail what it is you're getting audited on, but it is a co-audit, cooperative auditing situation. And are graduated from it only when they have released another fully. Released means they've, you know, they've gotten rid of the destructive impulses and evil intentions that this person is sitting on that are causing them to act that way. In Scientology, when you blow stuff out of your mind and it's not there anymore, it's called you're releasing it. So a release is a person who's, you know, who's had all this stuff taken out of their head, so to speak, out of their uh yeah, that's an easy enough way to explain it. Okay, so they are to learn tech and get themselves handled in co-audit and are graduated from it only when they have released another fully, been of material help to the unit, and are themselves fully cleaned up. Okay, so those are the guidelines for graduation from the RPF. And we used to go over and over and over these lines. In the RPF, the person receives counseling and does work on a team basis. The largest percent of persons assigned to the RPF graduate successfully and rejoin the crew. No, they don't. The majority of these give rave success stories because you don't graduate the program if you don't write rave success stories. No other management organization undertakes such a function. They just fire people. Not true. There are many, many corrective actions that get done at many, many levels in many, many organizations and corporations. Um, so Hubbard's writing here, this was a new idea. After formation of the RPF, things then started to straighten out. <sighs> if you only knew the history of how badly the RPF has messed up Scientology and the Sea Org. All right. So this is all just historical revisionism here is really what's going on. And there have been, there are two conflicting narratives out there about how the RPF was actually first formed up. One that it was L. Ron Hubbard's idea, another that it was somebody else's idea. And as it says here, they appeal to L. Ron Hubbard to please do this, set this program up and let's keep these people. 
I happen to fall on the side of believing that it was L. Ron Hubbard's idea. Um, there's history to this. You know, maybe one day I'll write it all up. We aren't going to get into it today, but um, but I'm I'm quite sure that this was L. Ron Hubbard's um, idea. This was his brainchild. The ship stands quite ready to accept people back off the RPF, fully handled, fully capable in life, and valuable. The RPF also waits for anyone fouling up habitually and injuring ship and crew survival. (sighs) Okay. The RPF is proving to be one of the most successful salvage actions ever undertaken. Okay, so this is your introduction to the RPF according to Scientology. This is what they, this is how they describe it within their issues. Um, here's a short little issue, oh, which we'll get into, let's see here. Now we can skip that one, actually. Um, oh, here's the motto of the RPF. The RPF is what we make it. The RPF is where we make it. I mean... So after everything I've read to you so far, you definitely should get the idea, if you haven't already, that people who end up on this program are in a devastated, destroyed state of mind. They have screwed up. They have been told that they have screwed up and that they are in treason to the Sea Org, that they are treasonous. I mean, that's a very high crime in Scientology as well as in the big wide world, right? Treason is a strong word. And, you know, here you are busting your ass, working your guts out for Scientology 24-7, and you're told that you have screwed up so badly that you are now treasonous to this activity and we're going to remove you from the lines and you're going to go fix yourself and you're going to take years to do it because everybody knows the RPF takes years and you're not going to see your spouse, and you're not going to have time off, and all that. We'll get into that. And off you go. Right? And that is the attitude of, towards the RPF, is that they are the scum of the Sea Org. They are the dregs, the degraded beings, the, the overt product makers, the rock slammers. They're the bad guys of the Sea Org, and they are segregated off until they can fix themselves. So that's the attitude that you get when you are sent to the RPF. You are a degraded being, and uh, no one wants to even associate with you, much less talk to you or give you any sympathy or support. So you end up on the RPF, and now you're in this sort of prison detail, and the motto of the place is the RPF is what we make it, the RPF is where we make it. So now, bud, it's all on you. You get yourself through this program. You get your twin through this program. And if you can't do that, then I guess you're just so screwed up that you don't even belong in Scientology or the Sea Org at all. Yeah, that is definitely the attitude. I can tell you that was what I lived under. And to place this in perspective, outside of the RPF, the RPF is ignored. It is not supposed to even be seen by the other Sea Org members. That's why they have them sequestered off in their own area. They birth together, uh, eat together, work together, but they th- that's off on their own. You're not supposed to see them or hear them. So, um, yeah, so when you get sent off to there, right, you, you don't, you don't, uh, nobody thinks about you. You're all, anything coming out of the RPF for approval or look over or inspection 
is at the bottom of everybody's pile. Nobody cares about the RPF and the Sea Org. They are always the, the dregs that are looked at last, which is one of the reasons why it takes so long to get through the program, because you have to get approval by outside of the RPF approval people, and we'll go over some of what that is, but, but there are things, there are steps and actions that you take and you don't get to move forward onto the next step on the program until it's verified and approved that you finish that first step or second step or third step. And that's done by people outside the RPF. So it could take a month or two or three or four for somebody to even bother to look at your submission, approve it or reject it, send it back. And if it's rejected, you got to fix it and send it back to that person, and it could be another one or two or three or four or five months before they look at it again. And you're just cooling your jets on the RPF, working your ass off, trying to get your twin through. And there have been times where both twins have been stuck, unable to move forward on the program because their stuff is outside being looked at, and they can't, they can't continue to do the program, so all they're doing is working and studying nonsense stuff because they can't move forward on their program, okay? So so the 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 I'm just trying to get across the uh, the attitude towards the RPF. It's not like people outside the RPF are eager beavers to get the RPF through their programs. They're mostly ignored and not thought about at all. Um okay, let's see here. Um heading on down the list of issues here. Oh yes, the test the test of a project force person. This is another L. Ron Hubbard beauty. The test of a project force person is, can he or she make somebody better? Not get better, but make somebody else better. Interesting, huh? So it's not about you. When you're on the RPF, the entire attitude is not, is very much, it's not about you. It's about you getting your twin better. Like if you're on the RPF worried about how fucked up you are, worried about how you, how badly you screwed up, worried about what's happening to you, worried about, you know, your situation, you're going to get slapped around because nobody wants to hear it. Um, and by slapped around, I mean, you're going to get, you know, I mean, yeah, there's some physical stuff, but I mean, you know, I don't mean that in a, in a, in a literal sense. I mean that they're going to tell you to get your attitude straight, that you got the wrong attitude. You are there to make somebody else better, specifically your twin. Um, your attention is not to be on you, but notice the double bind. You go there thinking you are the most degraded being, the most horrible person, the most, uh, you know, down. I mean, you are in the gutter of the Sea Org. How could you not have all your attention on how screwed up you are? But no, it's about making somebody else better. So you better get yourself out of your head and get to work. Okay. Um Okay, the RPF scene. This is actually dated from 1977. It was taken from an original flag order from 1976 and an LRH advice letter of February 1977. So this is an old issue that was just reissued. And it says the RPF is not supposed to be a soft birth, feather bed scene with lots of sleep, no work, and so forth. The RPF is to get completions. Each RPF member should have overall production targets and be individually targeted for completion. 
the RPF must be operated so that it will achieve its title, but that it is neither soft nor agreeable. Now, all of the abuses, all of the four high bunk beds and the lack of sleep that can sometimes go on for days, the amount of work that gets done, the broken bones, the battered bodies, the, the disheveled, you know, everything about the RPF and the physical, mental, psychological abuses that it, that it exerts on its members is justified by what I just read you. This, is, this was preached at me um, more times than I can possibly tell you in the three years that I was on the RPF. It is not a soft birth feather bed scene. It's achieve its title, but it is neither soft nor agreeable. In other words, it's supposed to be hard and disagreeable. You're supposed to hate it. So the environment is not one that is conducive to rehabilitation. It is conducive to punishment drive treatment because it's not supposed to be soft or agreeable. You you see where I'm going with all that, of course. So, of course, when you get on the RPF and every step of the program that you do on the RPF, you have targets and demands and let's go, go, go. And it's, you know, all the time, move, move, move get completions, get through, but how are you supposed to get completed when the people who you need approval from to get through the steps of the program won't look at your submissions for months, weeks, and months on end? As a routine action, Not I'm not talking about one or two times that happened. It happened all the time, and yet you're demanded to get through the program, you see, so again, this is just full of these contradictions and sort of double binds and these, like you, you're stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea, right? The issues say what they say, but the physical manifestation of it is like the worst possible interpretation of all of this. Okay, RPF work. This is another, this is RPF series seven that I'm reading to you from now, RPF work. The RPF works segregated, one job, one place, one time, and births in one area. No one on the RPF may be used for any post or mission. Okay, now remember this is in the Sea Org. So the Sea Org has jobs or posts, and it sends people out on projects, which are called missions. And you can go out on a Sea Org mission. I went on many of them, but not when you're on the RPF. You're untouchable when you're on the RPF. All you're doing is the RPF program. Um, the work that is done by the RPF, uh, da, 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 da. yeah, they do estates work. Okay. The, the physical work that gets done on the RPF is done in the estates branch. And that's the, basically the groundskeeping, engineering, the physical maintenance crews, the, the people who take care of the buildings and the grounds and all of that. That's its own division. Every Sea Org base has an estates division. And those are non-RPFers who are working in there. Those are the actual, you know, full-blown Sea Org members, engineers, galley, um, groundskeeping, um, you know, people who do renovations work, et cetera. All of that is estates. And uh, the RPF are assigned estates-type work under these people, right? They might work in the mill or they might work on the grounds or they might be repaving the, you know, the tar on the roof 
and uh, the RPF is going to do it because the estates guys are usually undermanned and also sometimes don't even know what the hell they're doing, right? And the RPF has to figure it out. So all the RPF is all all RPF work is broken down into project targets. The daily work that you do on the RPF is done by a, by a checklist of. Um, okay, well, first off, I should say the RPF is a big. It can be a big group. When I was on it, it was like a hundred plus people. When I first got there, so they were divided up into units. There would be a unit in charge, and there would be about five or six people, sometimes up to ten people under that in charge and they and each unit the rpf there's an rpf in charge a sea org member not an rpfer but a sea org member who's in charge of this whole outfit and he is the one who coordinates with the estates guys as to what work they need done that day they give him project orders and the project orders are written out one two three four right go to the area collect up the tools target two you know, sweep the room, sweep the floors, target three, mop the floor, target four, um, you know, uh, lacquer the floor, target five, clean up, right? It might be something simple like that. Or it could be, you know, you're going to go up to the roof and, and retar the thing. Okay, good. So collect up all the tools, collect up the tar, heat it up, you know, step by step by step, you are given these instructions on what to do. So generally speaking, the estates guys are supposed to know what they're doing because they're the ones writing these project orders for you. Um, but as you do this kind of work over and over again as an RPFer, when you're out there doing your hard physical labor day by day by day, and this is a seven-day-a-week operation, you start learning the drill yourself and you start figuring out how to do all this stuff. Um, and the project orders, still you still have to follow them, but, but you kind of get the idea of what it is that you're doing. Um, especially with the repetitive kind of work. Um, this, the commanding officer of the estates, let me read from the scriptures here some more. The commanding officer of the estates division should list extensively every area in buildings and exterior that needs handling in exact detail so as to make the whole area posh and viable and assign them area by area to the RPF uh, without at the same time letting a state's crew abandon maintenance. <laughs> You're not supposed to just offload your job to the RPF. Um, yeah, the RPF were originally given the task of poshing up the ship, but only allowed to clean. Cleaning can continue, but the RPF should also be allowed to contribute more. Um, they do not do such things as fixed tape recorders, etc., the RPF is not to be given any work or actions that put them on public lines. For example, they do not act as guides for an open house or work at a PR event. The RPF should be left to do the jobs they're supposed to do and not be pulled off onto cycles for the crew, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so basically the hard stuff is what gets assigned to the RPF more often than not. They're not fixing, you know, they're not sitting doing desk work or computer work or easy work. It's supposed to be hard physical labor, and that's the kind of estates work that they get assigned to, uh, all in the direction of um, making a nicer base, right? Basically being a workforce. All right. Da, 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 da. And in order to graduate the program, you have to... 
um, be, it has to be proven. It has to be shown in writing through this whole application uh, submission process that you have um, basically been sec checked, security checked for non-survival considerations and evil purposes on all dynamics. Okay, now that's really crucial to understanding how the program is broken down. Is Remember I described earlier the dynamics? Well, there are eight of them. Uh, there's the first dynamic, which is you, yourself. Second dynamic, right? Sex and family. Third dynamic is groups. Fourth is mankind. Fifth is other life forms, animals, plants, etc. Excuse me. Sixth is, is matter, energy, space, and time, the physical universe. Seventh dynamic is spirits. Spiritual entities, ghosts, souls, spirits. And the eighth dynamic is God or infinity. Okay, those are the eight dynamics of Scientology. And that is all of life. Everything fits into one of those compartments. So you're going to get security checked on every one of those dynamics. Individually and specifically, you're going to be asked a lot of sharp and pointed and burning questions about your sins or moral transgressions against yourself, against your family, your spouse, the sex itself, your job or groups you've been part of, against mankind. You're going to get security checked with questions that ask what you have been doing or what moral transgressions you've committed against mankind, against life forms, against plants, animals, pets, uh, against stuff. Stuff you've owned, stuff other people have owned. Have you stolen stuff? Have you um, destroyed stuff? Destroyed stuff on purpose, right? Things like that. Lots and lots of questions. Um, souls and spirits. You get sec checked about have you ever destroyed somebody's soul? Stuff like that. And then, of course, there is God or the eighth dynamic. And, and when you get up to the sixth, seventh, eighth, I mean, the questions, there's really only a few. Um, the real heavy intensive stuff is on the, the first, second, and third Dynamics is where most of the attention is put, but um, especially the second dynamic and the third dynamic, they are rabidly curious about all of your moral transgressions on sex and on the group. Okay, RPF graduation requirements. Here is the list. There are six points that must be met in order for you to graduate the RPF. One, can he or she make somebody better? Not get better, but make somebody else better. And remember what I said earlier. So in order to graduate, you have to get somebody else through all the steps of the program or you don't graduate either. You can get done with all the steps, security checked, up one side and down the other. Your needle can be floating on the e-meter on every single thing that anybody asks you. And you're not done until you get somebody else through. Okay. Two, must uh, learn tech. Okay, now Scientology tech, I've used this word a few times, the technology of Scientology, the methods, procedures, you know, the auditing, the training, how you do Scientology, that is the tech. So you have to learn tech and get themselves handled in co-audit and will be graduated from it only when they have released another fully as we went over. Um, three, must themselves be fully cleaned up. No person may be graduated from the RPF without full application of the technology on sec checking and PTS checking, because they also want to see if you've been suppressed at all. 
Uh, okay, so sec checking and PTS checking for non-survival considerations and evil purposes on all dynamics, okay? And each one of these points is thoroughly, fully documented. So you end up with a box at the end of this program full of pages, binder clips, tabs, things put clipped up together, your folders go in there. I mean, it's a huge package of stuff that, that shows all the evil purposes that have been pulled on you, all the ethics handlings that have been done on you, all the work you've done, all the physical work you've done is documented as well, although really in the end, nobody really gives a shit about the physical work you're doing. They just care about all the evil purposes that were pulled out of you. Um, okay, point number four is no longer an RSer, low OCA non-producer, or repeated stat crasher and overt product maker. So obviously it's expected when you're on the RPF that you will be producing products. Five, must have been of material help to the unit. And six, must produce quality products instead of previous overt products. Uh, yeah, obviously no RPFer will make it until he can produce well and with that recovers his pride and survival potential. See, the whole idea here is that you have screwed up so bad, you have no pride, you have no dignity, you have no self-respect, and the RPF is supposed to be the thing that's going to give that back to you. The missing ingredient there, of course, or the missing uh, point there is that <laughs> it was Scientology and the Sea Org that took away your pride and self-determination in the first place. Ah. Uh, all right. Um, oh, here's an interesting point. This is a point of policy that um, is violated all the time. Uh, it was violated with me. You know, I was doing my job uh, on this in the Sea Org. I was a course room, but, but when I got assigned to the RPF, I was a course room supervisor. I was supervising public on the uh, solo auditor course at the advanced organization in Los Angeles, AOLA. And I was, you know, doing my job and I was doing fine uh, enough. I mean, I was a wreck personally and I was really messed up, but I was working and I was producing. And, um, and my statistics were not crash, 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 crash. They were, you know, generally going up if I remember right. And um, yet I involved myself in some phone sex activities with another non-Sea Org member, somebody who had been in the Sea Org but now was a staff member. And um, she was married, I was married, and we were doing the phone sex thing. We never did anything physical, but we were talking nerdy to each other and kind of, you know, doing that stuff. And, um, and I put a stop to it. I uh, was really not doing well, personally. And I had this time period where I just sort of, you know, went into this really crazy place and thought this would be a good idea. And then I put an end to it. I stopped it. I was like, you yeah, know, this is bad. This is wrong. I'm cheating on my wife. I don't feel good about this. We need to stop and, um, and, put, it, and put a stop to it. But then a couple months later, I confessed in an auditing session to what I had done. And I ended up a week later on the RPF. Now, this is a policy called an omitted step. And it says there can be an omitted step on assignment to the RPF. This was the case in one organization which got up to near 50% on the RPF at one point. Something was wrong. The omitted step was 
have they been destructive on post? If an RPF is building up with high percentages of the crew assigned, it is probably because this one point was not looked into. Well, we had over 100 people on the RPF when I landed there. I think it had actually gotten up to about 120. And I'd heard at one ridiculous point it had approached 200 people. That is a huge RPF. And, um, you know, was I destructive on post? No, I was not. But I was assigned to the RPF anyway, as were a whole bunch of other people who also had not been destructive on post, but it just pissed off David Miscavige personally or somebody else, and um, and it ended up getting RPF'd, okay? So, you know, even though some of this stuff is written down, it still isn't followed particularly. The, the, the punishment drive of the Sea Org is something to behold. I'll just put it that way. Um, oh, yeah, let me give you guys a little bit more information about how L. Ron Hubbard talked about List 1 Rock Slammers. He really had a thing about this. You know, if, if the meter started RSing when you were on it and it had anything to do, you had anything to do with Hubbard or Scientology or anything, then, like I said, you're in a List 1 RSer. Hubbard called for what he called a re-education step for the List 1 RSers particularly. See, I went to the RPF. I was not a List 1 RSer. I never had any RSs as far as I know um, because there's this whole special handling you have to do if you have an RS. And I never got any of that handling. Um, so if you are a List 1 RSer, well, here's what L. Ron Hubbard said. This was taken from an LRH advice of 23 February 1978, where LRH is commenting on the posting of a List 1 rock slammer to an executive post. And here's what L. Ron Hubbard wrote. The thing people don't realize about List 1 RSers is that when they're cleaned up, you have somebody whose track training, in other words, their past, right, whose track training and experience is all involved with overts, bad deeds, sins. He has little or no experience being a good guy. In essence, this is the same problem one would have with a cleared cannibal. A cleared cannibal is a cleared cannibal. Okay, Hubbard makes this analogy in Scientology to a cleared cannibal. Let's say you have somebody who grew up and he was a cannibal. He was in a tribe, and he was a cannibal, and he ate people, and that's what he did. Well, most people would find this objectionable behavior, which is why Hubbard uses it as an analogy to say you could go in there with Dianetics and clear everybody, and the guy would still be a cannibal. He'd still be eating people. Why? Because that's what he is. He's a cannibal. You have to re-educate him also, clearing him, doing Scientology with him, and auditing him and making him you know, no longer have a reactive mind or case— doesn't mean you're going to change his cannibalism, okay? And this is an old analogy in Scientology. So here he's using that analogy to say you have this guy who has been this evil, you know, overt product-producing bad guy. Well, you clean up the RSs. You clean up the evil intentions. He doesn't have any experience being a good guy. He doesn't know what that means, in this particular case, Hubbard goes on to say, in this particular case, I have no doubt that his list one rock slams are cleared up, 
but his education, which is to say experienced background for billions of years, contains only chopping people up. He simply doesn't know how to talk to a person without invalidating him, as that's the only way he knows how to talk to anybody. The advantage is that he is now open to new training, which he never was before. He would have to be put through TRs, you know, the training routines, the communication drills, which he never could have passed before. Taught social graces, such as saying please and thank you, and opening the door for somebody. You get the idea of what Hubbard, how Hubbard thinks about these people. So the probability is that it is a cruelty to clean up a list one rock slammer and then not give him a full public relations course, a course in grooming, etiquette, and some books to read about nice guys. The advantage is he is now not plotting one or another's demise covertly and is not fixedly preventing himself from learning anything. One wonders, <laughs> I wonder, if L. Ron Hubbard isn't describing himself here, of course. One would, to continue reading from Hubbard's re-education step here, one would have him read for sure and do some practical on how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. That is the only book I know of that will do him some good. We will de-cannibalize the cleared cannibal. Uh, one could even go further with auditing and find some times if they are there when he was a nice guy and he was successful at it. Okay. I'm writing this so you will understand why it isn't okay to appoint an ex-List One rock slammer. So Hubbard was not at all interested. Even if you cleaned it all up, he still didn't want you anywhere near an executive position, right? And that was his reasoning why. I thought you guys might find that a little interesting as to the mindset here. Okay, now there is an issue here that describes uh, when and when you are not charged for different, different aspects or parts of the RPF program. Um, because when you do services in Scientology, even free services, you still are signing invoices saying you're good for the money if you end up leaving the Sea Org and paying for it, right? So some of this stuff you might end up even paying for. There's a whole issue here on signing legal waivers. I'm sure this was written by the Office of Special Affairs. You cannot do the RPF unless you first execute or sign certain waivers, legal waivers, saying you understand it's a voluntary program, you're doing it of your own free will, blah, 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 blah. All of this is just so much wasted paper because, of course, you're put in a position in Scientology and the Sea Org where if you don't do the RPF program, you are kicked out and you lose all of your connections and potentially declared a suppressive person. And there have been many times that I saw with my own two eyes, as well as heard from other people, that they were given a choice of you do the RPF or you get declared suppressive. Now, is that really, and when you're in the Scientology mindset, is that really a choice? Is that a voluntary action? Of course it's not. 
but you have to sign a legal waiver saying it is. Okay, so there's a whole rundown on that. Um, and then we go down here to personal gear. Yeah, your stuff is not supposed to get damaged. When you go on the RPF, all your stuff gets boxed up and thrown into a storage container. And I saw those storage containers flooded, uh, left out in the sun. I saw people's property outright destroyed, thrown away, trashed. Nobody cared about it. I, so many times I can't even begin to describe that to you. So you think your stuff is off in storage and it's going to be there for you when you get done with the RPF. Maybe. Probably not. Okay, another issue I wanted to cover here was RPF nights out canceled. So the RPF is a seven-day, full-time, 24-7 program. There are no holidays. There's no time off. There used to be, though. In uh, August of 1978, L. Ron Hubbard canceled the practice of giving the RPFers a night off, or what was called a night out, to have conjugal visits with their spouses. Nope. No more of that. And that has not been a reality since that time. So, uh, yeah. Punishment, punishment, punishment. A night out, I'll read you exactly what it says. A night out refers to the fact that during that period in the late 1970s, some RPF members spent one night out a week with their spouse. This practice created interbulation and distracted RPF members from their redemption programs. Seeing your spouse one night a week was interbulating, which means it was upsetting. It created chaos. That's what interbulation means in Scientology. So somehow having a conjugal visit or having some time with your spouse was deemed uh, destructive. Okay. Um, now let's talk about rights and restrictions. The RPF uh, rights and restrictions, RPF series 23. Oh, man, this was like our little Bible because we would study and study and study this thing uh, because we didn't have a whole lot of rights. When an individual, I'll quote from the issue here, when an individual takes part in the RPF, he is thoroughly engaged in redeeming himself spiritually by fully handling the underlying causes of his destructive actions. As with any intensive religious endeavor towards rehabilitation, the attention of the individual must not be dispersed into other activities. All efforts should be expended purely on becoming a full product of the RPF. With this purpose in mind, the rights and restrictions for all RPF members are enumerated here to be complied with unreasonably. And I love the double entendre now of that word uh, because it is very unreasonable there. But unreasonable in Scientology doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense or something isn't following reason. Unreasonable in Scientology means you are not coming up with any reasons not to do it. You know, if you are reasonable in Scientology, that word is redefined to mean that you are justifying or rationalizing or coming up with reasons why some bad or non-optimum situation exists. You're reasonable. And it's something that's a bad word. You're not supposed to be reasonable. So uh, I know, 
I know, right? It's, I, I mean, the more I think about this. Okay, rights. So the RPFers rights. Uh, da, 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 five hours of study, seven hours actual sleep time. Okay, well, that means we had a, a schedule that allowed for seven and a half hours of head on, head on bed, you getting out of bed. Seven and a half hour window there to get your sleep, right? And you better sleep. Um, members of the RPF may not be put on a work schedule, which does not allow for five hours of study and co-auditing and seven hours actual sleep time um, to be sessionable or studentable. And uh, the idea is that you're supposed to have that time. Well, guess what? That was violated all the time. We had that right taken away from us constantly. Um, serve other, uh, you're supposed to be served uh, a mess. You're supposed to get food, in other words. Dot, 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 dot. Um, okay, restrictions. Here we go. Uh, following are restrictions that apply to all members of the RPF. These restrictions define very strict channels, so the individual may intensely work, study, audit, and receive auditing with no outside distractions until complete on the program. A, enters the RPF in a condition not higher than liability to the Sea Org. Okay, so those have to do with conditions of existence. I mentioned before treason. Yeah, you're definitely in a treasonous situation. Have no liberty, has no liberty until graduation. In other words, time off. Liberty is time off, right? It's a naval term. Has no liberty until graduation, at which time is awarded a 24-hour liberty before reporting for duty at his or her org. Is restricted to the base at all times, except when on authorized work cycles in other areas or buildings or authorized medical or other urgent cycles. Any travel off the base is accompanied by another staff member outside the RPF or an RPF member who has ethics and security okay. This rule is not to be used to prevent staff from handling real situations when they occur. So this is the rule that you cannot ever leave the base or go to the hospital or anything like that without somebody else with you. And in fact, the rule was a rule of three when I was on the RPF. No RPFer can leave the base without two other RPFers accompanying them uh, to prevent them from just taking off. Does not have a right to an annual leave while in the RPF. Should an emergency arise, such as a death or serious illness in the family or a legal situation like immigration, the RPF member gets approval through the RPFIC and also has to get a sec check before he can leave. Otherwise, he might blow, which means take off AWOL, go AWOL, right? Okay, receives one quarter allowance while in the RPF and is not eligible for bonuses. That means you get a quarter pay. And remember, Sea Org pay is 50 bucks a week. So you're getting a quarter of that every week, which basically came out to 11 bucks. Um, may birth only in one area in separate RPF quarters, may not birth with the rest of the crew, right? So you don't get to go home tonight uh, to sleep with your spouse. Um, may not originate written or spoken communications to people outside the RPF. Uh, the only exceptions to this restriction are replying to a communication originated to the RPF member by staff or executives or family members, 
or B, writing standard knowledge reports, or C, originating communication to another in the event of an emergency, such as an injury, fire, etc., to obtain or to obtain information necessary to execute RPF DEX projects. Remember, I talked about those projects that they would do when they were on uh, the work. Okay, so that's it. So there's no sitting around chatting. There's no talking to people who are outside the RPF. There's no originating any communications to them. Um, none of that. Okay. Um, oh, you also lose rank and rating. You go. You get. You get uh, downgraded two ranks, um, and your rank is suspended till you graduate. Uh, may not attend crew parties or any crew or public events. Um, is denied normal canteen privileges, but may use the vending machines or the canteen when it's not in use by the crew. The way this works is our messing time, the time we would eat, would be separate from when the rest of the crew was eating. And sometimes a staff member, a galley member, would come and open the canteen for us, and sometimes they wouldn't. So sometimes we had access to other food or, go or goods or sundries that we would need, and sometimes not. Uh, no cigarette breaks on the RPF. Uh, don't smoke indoors. A lot of people on the RPF smoke, by the way. Very big stress relief. You have to wear the RPF uniform, which is, by the way, a gray T-shirt and black jeans and work boots. That is the RPF uniform. It is called the gray and black. Uh, it used to be back in the day that they would wear armbands of a special color and they would wear boiler suits, um, but that changed and it was gray and black. Must move quickly and run on the decks on Sea Org bases. Okay, now this is uh, a thing, right? Now it also says, this is another one of those instances where it says one thing and we were forced to do another. Uh, it says this does not mean groups of RPF, or RPF members run down public streets together or otherwise use this to cause out-PR. Out-PR is this term in Scientology for bad public relations. It also does not mean that in rare instances, persons with a medical situation such as an injury are forced to run. But when on the decks and on the Sea Org base, RPF members pride themselves on their quality of product and the speed in which this is accomplished. Shuffling, half-running, and walking have no part in this. The RPF must be snap and pop in all its act actions, which includes running, and it is the responsibility of each RPF member as well as the RPFIC to see that this occurs. Okay, so did I see old people forced to run? You bet I did. Did I see injured people forced to run everywhere they went? Absolutely. We prided ourselves, quote unquote, on having to run everywhere. What a bunch of crap that is. We hated it. We were exhausted all the time. And running and running everywhere you go was just enforced. And that was how it was. Um, may not use any crew or public recreational facilities at any time, obviously. Uh, let's see. Must suffer additional time in the RPF for violations of regulations, failure to produce, 
overt products, refusal to come clean, or any other offense. Okay, so you can get in trouble here. I'm going to skip some of the technical jargon, but you can get in trouble while you're on the RPF and literally be assigned additional time to spend on the program even after you graduate by finishing all the requirements. And I saw that happen, I think, once or twice. That I saw a guy who had, I know for sure once, there was a guy who had to do an additional month on the RPF. Um, must do his own laundry. Actually, we had a unit in the RPF um, which was doing the laundry of the RPF. That's where most of the older people were put. Uh, because it was recognized, even though the older people had to run everywhere, you know, they could only run so much a day compared to us young whippersnappers. And so they were generally put on easier type of physical labor. Not that they never had to do the hard work, because they often did. But um, the older people, and I mean by the people, I'm talking about people in their 70s, uh, 60s, right? That, that group of people. I never saw anybody on the RPF who was in their 80s. But I did know people on the RPF who were in their 60s and 70s. And so, yeah, they got assigned lighter work. Um, let's see. May not consume any alcohol or drugs except for medicine. May not have with him in the RPF any radios, TV, taped music, musical instruments, magazines, novels, games, cameras, or any entertainment or luxury items in order to prevent any distractions from the intense study and work program. This includes such a thing as getting a muffin in the canteen, or when I first ended up on the RPF for the first year I was there, no soda, no Coke. That's a luxury item. According to this rule, that's how that was enforced. After about a year, the RPF I see laid off and we were able to get Cokes. But that was about as intense a luxury item as I was allowed on the RPF. May not drive vehicles or operate heavy equipment. That's true. I never saw RPFers do that. And remains with the RPF apart from the crew. It is an essential part of the program that the RPF be segregated from the crew so that the crew is not interbulated and can keep the show on the road. Equally important... The RPF member must concentrate on getting through his program without distraction. This extends out of necessity to the second dynamic as well, your spouse, your family. RPF members must birth only in the assigned RPF birthing. This is a practice in many religions which restrict second dynamic activities, including celibacy in order to bring about a concentrated dedication to spiritual matters. In the case of, an, of a member of the RPF, this restriction covers any direct personal contact with spouse or other family members, all of which is prohibited until the individual completes the program. Okay, those are the rights and restrictions. And then we have what I thought you guys might find interesting, the RPF rocks and shoals. Uh, in most, okay, here's a quote from a flag order. In most sea organizations, a list of penalties is called rocks and shoals and is read out to the crew at muster. So what are the punishments? What are the penalties, the rocks and shoals 
for the RPF. Well, let me just read it to you. And by the way, I hope you're enjoying me reading this to you directly because I think it communicates so much more clearly than I could when I, you know, I give you interpretations as we're going here. But I, I really think the wording here is important as to how this is communicated. Having a system of penance or making up for a wrong that was done has, been, has long been a hallmark of religions. While we do not believe in any form of flagellation, priests flogging themselves or others with whips, or similar infliction of pain or duress, members of the RPF have found the simple use of running laps around their worksite or doing push-ups or sit-ups to be an easy and effective means of maintaining discipline. This is their system of rocks and shoals. The first rocks and shoals were drawn up by the flag RPF uh, ethics guy in 1976. These provided an on-the-spot means to correct someone on the decks, get them out of any temporary dejection, and get them right back onto doing what they were doing. Over the years, these rocks and shoals have proven quite workable. The RPF rocks and shoals do not replace standard ethics, but they do provide a fast means to get someone to end cycle on an error. In other words, stop committing an error, right? Leave it in the past. Or goof or overt product on the decks and get on with it, okay? Rocks and shoals were not intended to be, nor have they been used as, punishment over the years. That is the single biggest lie I have read to you yet. Even though they require physical exertion, they were never meant to cause pain or duress, and in fact, they don't. Lie number two of magnitude. The original definitions and descriptions of the laps taken uh, aligned with the physical spaces, blah, blah, blah. So we're going to give you some approximate lengths and this sort of thing. So definitions. One lap is about one-eighth of a mile, 660 feet. And it's run in a circular route. A long lap is between one-eighth and one-quarter of a mile. And a big lap is a quarter of a mile, okay? So you could be assigned a lap, a long lap, or if you really screw up, a big lap. And you got to go run a quarter mile. Um, okay, non-compliance, such as not getting a production target done. One long lap. No report, false report, moving slowly, walking instead of running. One lap. Um, using elevators instead of stairs, one lap. Uh, backflash, if you talk back to your senior or the people who are giving you orders, you get to go take a lap. Out etiquette, one big lap. Overt product, one long lap, right? I'm just reading randomly from these things. Out hygiene can get you a lap. In other words, if you stink <laughs> on the RPF, you can have to go run a lap. That'll solve the out hygiene, right? Out of uniform, one lap. Lateness, a long lap. You break something, you get to do a long lap as well as paying for the damage. Okay, note, 
Minor corrections on the spot can be done with 10 or more push-ups or sit-ups right then and there and back to work. Anything which fits into the categories above are handled with laps. So seniors on the command line assign laps. Where an RPFer is, uh, yeah, you don't get laps when you're doing your study time. You only do this during the physical labor exertion part of the program, okay? Um, and it could be that if some senior comes along and sees what's going on, he could assign laps to everybody in the unit or everybody below him if somebody's screwing up on something. So it's not just on an individual. And it says that they must not be used inhumanely or suppressively, such as by assigning an excessive amount of laps or otherwise levying penalties beyond the guidelines listed in this issue. Well, let me share with you one of the things that happened to me and the entire RPF, in fact, one night where the RPFIC was pissed at us over some bullshit that I can't even remember. And somebody screwed up something and he decided to make an example of everybody. And he had all of us in the main mess after hours, all the tables pushed aside to the walls, wide open area. And there were probably about 75 to 80 of us in this room, RPFers. And he made us run back and forth, um, not dissimilar to basketball exercises that you sometimes see professionals do where they're running this way and then they're running back this way. And we had to touch this wall and then run back over. And this was not a team exercise or some team building thing. This was, okay, um, he decided to interrogate us, right? Okay, which of you, blah, blah, right? Oh, nobody's answering? Good, all of you over there, right? And we had to run. And then we had to run again and again and again. And I think it was probably something on the order of about 25 or 30 times this punishment was implemented. Um, in this one instance, I mean, this, this all took about... I don't know, an hour or something. And uh, and then we were all sent to bed. So, yeah, not to be used suppressively or inhumanely, bullshit. It was used suppressively and inhumanely all the time. I mean, plus we're sort of avoiding the point that the entire program is a little suppressive and inhumane, but we'll just we'll just move right on past that. Uh, but the, again, I just wanted you guys to get the wording from inside, right? Rocks and shoals correctly used provide a means to instantly get an RPFer out of any temporary lapse or overt product committed and right back to what he was doing. In this way, he can end cycle and get on with completing cycles of action and thus increase his production. This is how they word this stuff. They, they word it as though these are favors they're extending you or these are great tools to use to get you through your program. And isn't it nice that we're laying all of this out for you in this wonderful way so that you have all these beautiful rules and guidelines to get through your human trafficking program? I mean, it's just unbelievable that human beings can actually conceive of, write, and execute this stuff with a straight face. But I'm here to tell you, they do. And I bought into all of this crap in one way or another. I really didn't feel like I had any choice in the matter. It was really what it came down to. And, um, and this is, you know, this is how the RPF is conducted. 
Now, let's get to the technical program and then we can then I'll get through this and then I think we'll probably move toward wrapping up because this is I think a pretty thorough grounding here in what this program is all about. The RPF technical program. This is the key bulletin of the RPF and this was from 1997. They revised it in 2003 um, just before I got on the program. And here we go. The RPF provides the means by which those who have been destructive on post can fully redeem themselves, thus regain their self-esteem as productive and contributing Sea Org members. This technical program has been compiled to facilitate exactly that. Um, and here's the summary. Upon transfer to the RPF, one handles at once any ethics or PTS conditions, and then his program is directed toward co-auditing where he receives a full cleanup of overts, right, sins, bad deeds, of overts, withholds, things you're not talking about. Withholds are obviously when you've done something wrong. Excuse me. So full cleanup of overts, withholds, and evil purposes, which underlie such poor conduct all to be done while the person contributes on deck work so as not to go further out exchange with the group, right? It's considered when you're on the RPF that all this hard-ass work that you're doing is what's basically paying for your food and your board, right? Your room and board. Uh, yeah, it's like that. So each person in the RPF is programmed strictly according to this issue, um, the steps are laid out in a checklist, and here we go. First step, zero, introductory step. As the first step upon entering the RPF, the person reads all of the RPF series flag orders. Everything I'm reading you from here, they read all of this. Uh, to gain a full understanding of the purpose, rules, and regulations of the RPF program, he then executes certain legal waivers to attest that he wants to do the RPF program understands the discipline required and is participating on his own volition as gone over. One, conditional PTS handling. If PTS, the situation gets fully handled. Okay, so in other words, if there's some connection to what's considered a suppressive element, maybe a family member, friend outside the Sea Org, very, very rare for Sea Org members to have friends outside the Sea Org. In fact, it's damn near impossible but you could have some connection in or outside the church that might be considered suppressive to you for some reason, and you gotta do this PTS handling. Then you have ethics conditions. Ethics conditions are done up to liability in relation to the overall activity from which the person was assigned. This is basically writing down that you're a bad person, how horribly bad you are, right? The, the conditions formulas um, are step-by-step -step actions you take in order to get yourself into what Hubbard called a higher condition of, of operation or ethics. And the lower ethics conditions are where you really screwed up and you are really in a bad way and you're an enemy and, and you're a bad person. So you do these ethics conditions. This usually takes about a day or two, right, of writing stuff down and acknowledging what a horrible person you are for having ended up on the RPF in the first place. is basically, the point is to get you in the right frame of mind. And the right frame of mind for the RPF is, you was a sinner, 
and you done sinned, and this is your only redemption, and you better take it, right? That's the attitude that they're going to get you in before you're going to continue on with this program if you aren't already there by the time you hit the RPF, which most people are. Okay, then we have the auditing steps. One, audited PTS handlings. If PTS, so let's say you do this ethics handling and this PTS handling, but you still got something going on with suppression and being connected to suppressives and all that, then you might get this audited handling. Then you have a drug handling. Okay, now remember, in Scientology, drugs are not considered good, especially illicit drugs, uh, illegal drugs, drug history. And if you've done hard drugs, right, you're not supposed to have taken LSD. That's a disqualification for the C organization. But if you took some other heavy stuff or you have a drug history, the theory in Scientology is that stuff messes permanently with your ability to think and act and operate. And so you might need to get some drug handling first. And it says here, for those with a heavy drug history, it may be necessary to run or flatten a drug handling action before proceeding with the false purpose rundown. And the false purpose rundown is something we will get to. Uh, drugs impair a person's ability to confront his case. And persons who have been on drugs do not make case gain until the drugs are handled. So you might have to do some audited drug handling. You might even end up doing that purification program again. Uh, if you've done it before, it's been a long time, you might end up doing that. Literally, while you're on the RPF, you're also going and sweating for five hours a day in the sauna and then going and doing hard physical labor. I mean, can you imagine? I can because I watch people do it. <laughs> yeah, it was that crazy. Then you have, okay, so you do your conditional steps and then you have this false purpose rundown auditing. And this is where you have a prepared series of questions and they, the numbers differ, vary depending on each of the dynamics that you're going to address. So the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna get, um, oh, actually the first thing, first thing you're gonna do on this FPRD step is you're gonna get a tailor-made security check, the questions are going to be specifically written for you, not, not a form, but tailor-made for you based on how you screwed up and ended up on the RPF in the first place. So for me, I ended up on the RPF because of the phone sex thing. So I got about 120 questions all about sex family, spouses, anything having to do with all of that, 122, I think it was, questions on that topic that had to be cleared up on an e-meter to every question having what's called a floating needle. And the way, and let me run this down for you real fast. I've explained this in the past, but it's probably buried somewhere in my channel. So let me explain to you that security checking is a, as an action that is done with, a, with an e-meter. Um, and like I said, you're working with a twin. You, you are assigned somebody. They're going to get you through the program. You're going to get them through the program. So they, so you have to receive this tailor-made security check, which means that they're going to ask you, let's say the first question on the, on the security check is, have you ever stolen an apple? I'm just going to use generic stuff here, right? So um, let's say you ended up on the RPF because you were a bad person and you were stealing things. So, um, and you worked at an apple factory or something, right? So maybe the first question is, have you ever stolen an apple? 
and it's a tailored question to you and your situation. And the question is asked on an e-meter, which means that there's a formal process of setting up an auditing session, that you are sitting there holding the electrodes or the cans, and you're, you're hooked up to the meter, and the auditor, the sec checker, the security checker, um, has a prepared list of questions. They don't make them up on the spot. They write them all out and get them approved beforehand. And this is and this tailor-made form is created for you. And you're going to have to get through all these questions. So they ask you the first question on the meter. Have you ever stolen an apple? And if there's no response on the needle, the needle's just sitting there idly, moving around, doing whatever it's doing. And the way the question is asked is, have you ever stolen an apple? And if there's no response, then the person will, the auditor will ask, on the question, have you ever stolen an apple? Has anything been suppressed? And they're looking at the meter. I keep looking down because I'm looking at this invisible meter, this e-meter in front of me. And they're watching the needle to see if it responds right at the end of the question. It doesn't respond during the question. It responds at the end of the question. So have you ever stolen an apple? Boom. If the needle responds at that moment, that's a hot question. You're going to take it up with the person. And there are many, many buttons that can be used to try to get the question to respond. If the question doesn't respond, what's expected is that the needle will float. It'll be a floating needle. You'll be happy over there. You don't have anything on the question. And the needle's just idly going uh, rhythmically back and forth, back and forth across the dial. That's called a floating needle. That's the end of the question. You're done asking the question when you see the needle is floating in response to asking the question, okay? So that's the, your ticket out of the question. Until the needle's floating, the question is potentially hot. So the auditor is checking the question on the meter. They're not asking you, they're asking the meter. Have you ever stolen an apple? On the question, have you ever stolen an apple? Has anything been suppressed? On the question, have you ever stolen an apple? Has anything been invalidated? On the question, have you ever stolen an apple? Has anything been misunderstood? On the question, have you ever stolen an apple? Is there anything you're being careful of? On the question, have you ever stolen an apple? Is there anything you failed to reveal? And on and on. There are a series of these buttons. There's about 20 of them that can be checked. And you're going to keep checking and checking and checking this question until it either reads or the needle floats. And it is expected, especially when you first get on the program, that those questions are going to read. You are not going to get away with just having a floating needle through all these questions and you didn't do anything wrong. You are on the RPF because you did bad things, bud. So you better start confessing, right? So the meter had better read. If it just floats, nobody's really going to believe that. And that never happens anyway, by the way, ever. I never, I never once saw somebody just floating needle their way through the entire RPF program. Um, because remember, people on the RPF, Scientologists, all of them, and that includes every Sea Org member, thoroughly believe that the e-meter works. That it's a valid tool. It's a, it, it actually does exactly what L. Ron Hubbard says it does. And they could not be more wrong. The meter is total horseshit, and it has no, there's nothing to it. 
um, it is one third of a lie detector is what the e-meter is. It is the galvanic skin response to um, the questions that the meter is registering. It's not a lie detector. Lie detectors aren't lie detectors. They're, they're the most misnamed bunch of pseudoscientific crap that's ever been foisted off on people. Um, and the e-meter is an unreliable lie detector, okay? That's what it physically is. It's reading skin uh, resistance. It's reading electrical resistance to um, the, the skin. That's all it does, right? So it's no window into your soul. It's not, you know, your psyche on display on a, on a needle, on a dial. That's not... It's just a bunch of junk, right? And most of the responses and reactions that, the, that happen on the e-meter are completely random, you know. There are stress responses. Uh, you, can, you can have muscle tension that can cause a person's hands to micro-tense on the cans. And um, other things can happen. Internal changes can happen that alter the electrical resistance uh, across the surface of your skin that can make the meter respond. And this is how they get responses on the needle. And they're looking at, at the needle at a very exact time. So enough about all that. Let's get back to the, pro the RPF program. Sec checking is the action of asking questions of the person and watching for those needle responses. And then when you get a response, you take it up with the person. You go, okay, have you ever stolen an apple? Boom, good. You just look at the person. You ever stolen an apple, right? Oh yeah, okay, I stole an apple. Okay, good. Now what this, what's gonna happen now is they're gonna ask, when was it? Where was it? What'd you do? How'd you justify it? Did anybody find out about it or almost find out about it? And if the needle is still not floating, now that you've confessed all of the specifics of what you did, and all of this is written down by the auditor on paper, and, you know, you, you tell him what you did, and he's writing it all down. And then when you get to the end of that particular overt or sin or moral transgression, then the auditor looks at the meter. And if the needle's not floating, the auditor asks, is there an earlier similar time you stole an apple? And you start going back into the past. And you go deeper and deeper and deeper into the past. And every single moral transgression or overt is gotten with when, where, how, you know, give me all the specifics. Uh, how'd you justify it? Or how'd you rationalize it? And who nearly found out about it, right? That's important to, to Scientology is who nearly found out. And, uh, or who, did, who made you wonder whether or not they knew, right? Because that can drive you a little nuts. So, uh, so this gets taken down earlier and earlier, even going back into your past lives. And the sec checking that's done on the RPF is expected to go deep down the what's called the time track, deep down your track into your past lives. Because then you finally get to an earlier similar time you stole an apple. Let's say it was 20 million years ago. And you stole, you didn't steal an apple per se. Remember, it's an earlier similar time that you did this thing. So it could be that you didn't steal an apple, but you stole some fruit on some other planet in some other universe that looked an awful lot like apples do here. You see what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be exactly that, but it has to be earlier and similar enough that it comes to mind and answers the question. 
So let's say you go 20 million down, years down the track, and yeah, I stole this apple in this orchard, and it was blah, 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 and the needle's finally floating. You go, okay, good, I'm done with that. No, you're not, because now we're going to get the evil intention underlying your compulsion to steal apples. So what the next question is going to be along the lines of, and I'm trying to remember this specifically, but it's, um, was there some, the, the question is going to be on the meter is going to be, was there some evil purpose or destructive intention that prompted you to commit that overt? And it's expected that that question is also going to have a response on the e-meter. If it doesn't, out come the buttons again. On the question, uh, was there some destructive purpose or evil intention that caused you, that prompted you to commit that overt? Has anything been suppressed? On the question, was there some evil purpose or destructive intention that prompted you to commit that overt? Has anything been invalidated? And on and on with all these buttons until the meter responds when it's supposed to. So you see how this works is the meter is responding almost randomly based on this electrical, you know, resistance in your body. They're looking for a specific moment when the meter is going to respond. So they keep, they keep creating opportunities for the response to happen by repeating the question over and over and over again using these buttons, these suppressed, invalidated, misunderstood, failed to reveal, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like I said, there's a whole list of these things. Um, so you then get a response. It's expected again, right? Everybody's expecting at this point that there is going to be a response on the meter to this evil purpose question. If there's not, there's a correction action that can be taken, but I'm not going to get that detailed today on all this technical stuff. I'm already deep into the weeds on it as it is here. And I hope that I'm explaining this clearly enough that you guys are able to, to follow along with this. So, um, okay, so you're trying to get the evil intention or the, the destructive you know, purpose here, right? So you ask the question, was there some evil purpose or destructive intention that prompted you to commit that overt? Boom, the meter finally responds. The guy goes, yeah, uh, it was to destroy all apples, right? That was my evil intention about apples is I wanted to destroy them all. Okay, great, you know, and then there's a little process that gets done to talk about and maybe find earlier times that you used that evil purpose, okay? And you're now on the, on the subject, not of what you did, but of this, this evil purpose. And you, the idea is to blow or release the evil purpose. So it's no longer populating your mind and no longer affecting you so that you will no longer feel compelled to commit destructive acts because you want to destroy all apples. Right? It's supposed to go away forever, and you are no longer going to be plagued by that particular compulsion. That process, the security check part and the evil purpose part, is called the false purpose rundown. That's, that's the, the, the procedure for that, is finding your evil, false, destructive purposes and intentions that you created in your mind millions of years ago this is not it is never expected that the that the evil intention will be something you created this lifetime this is long ago stuff that you've been compelled to act this way according to L. Ron Hubbard 
you've been compelled to act this way for Trelania. And the false purpose rundown is the action that's supposed to reach in and sort of de, you know, into the core of your being and sort of root out these evil intentions. And I, over the course of the RPF, got rid of or, you know, came up with answers to this question hundreds of times, hundreds of evil purposes and destructive intentions. So I should be clean as an angel. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, so that's the technical procedure that goes on with the sec checking. But the thing is, you got to run this on every one of these questions. And you can have multiple evil intentions come up, multiple instances of overts come up on just one question. Because what happens is you run out the overts, you run out the evil intention, and then you go back and you recheck the original question. Have you ever stolen an apple? So let's say we do this whole chain, you know, yeah, I stole an apple, blah, 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 earlier similar, blah, 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 floating needle, you know, evil purpose, good, get the evil purpose, destroy all the apples, run that out, the needle floats. Now you come back to the question. The auditor says, okay, I'm going to recheck the question. Have you ever stolen an apple? On the question, have you ever stolen an apple? Has anything been suppressed, right? We go through the whole song and dance again until the question either reads or the needle floats. And after you've run a good chain, it would be acceptable that the needle floats. If you haven't run a chain, like I said, especially at the beginning where you are the degraded person who just landed on the RPF and you must have committed heinous crimes and we're going to get them all off. So you better have answers to these questions and the questions better read. So that's the procedure. And you are asked question after question after question. And every question has to have the floating needle. Okay. So the first step is this prepared, tailor-made sec check on the area that you screwed up in that landed you on the RPF in the first place. Now, let me give you a couple examples of how this might look. For me, it had to do with sex for obvious reasons. For other people, it might have to do with something else. For example, there were a couple guys who landed on the RPF because they had screwed up an AV setup, an audiovisual setup for one of the events. The speakers went out in the middle of the event, and COB, chairman of the board, Miscavige, was on the screen, and you couldn't hear him. And the screen was getting weird, and it was this disaster, and the public were there, and people were freaking out, right? Executives' heads exploding. I mean, people were pissed that this was going on, because it didn't just happen for a few seconds. The event was pretty much, you know, it was bad. So these couple guys, the couple guys who were responsible for this, Within hours, they were on the RPF. And their tailor-made sec check had to do with, you know, have you ever purposefully messed up the electronics on your job? Or have you ever purposefully messed up an AV presentation? Or have you ever, you know, um, questions might be along the lines of, you know, were you lazy on your job? Did you purposefully screw up your job? Did you do something on your job that you know you shouldn't have? Was there something about your job you purposefully didn't know about and you stayed ignorant of? I mean, you could tailor make all kinds of questions around these concepts and come up with a tailor-made security check to deal with why this person screwed up this event. 
And it's see, and in Scientology, remember, it's all about your own personal responsibility. So it's not a matter of it was somebody else's fault. There was a fault in the wiring. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. None of those are going to be excuses when you're facing the music that Miscavige's face was on screen and nobody could hear what he was saying. And that was your job to deal with that. You are screwed. And it really doesn't matter what the real reason is. You are screwed. So you end up on the RPF and you end up answering all these questions about your job and all the faults and errors and mistakes and screw-ups that you've had on that job you're going to be confessing to. And it's probably going to take a few months on the RPF at five hours a day going back and forth with your twin to get through that first tailor-made sec check. That alone is going to take months to get through, depending on how long it is, how many questions, how many overts you have to confess to, how long it takes for your needle to float, right? Which depends on a lot of things, mostly your physiology and your and in, in your how, what shape you're in and how and where you're at mentally, um, because your your mental you know the, the parasympathetic nervous system that runs you know your body and runs the 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 way your body responds to things, all the internal chemicals and stuff, that has a lot to do with your mental state. So, you know, if you're agitated, anxious, upset, you know, the needle gets kind of tight, you know, if you're in a pretty good place and you're kind of chill and everything's kind of relaxed, the needle tends to idle around. There's not as much active resistance. It's, it's an interesting thing. So it's not completely disrelated to your emotional state. In fact, it's very much tied to your emotional state. It's the question where I, you know, am throwing back on the meter is it is not an accurate reflection of whether you're telling the truth and it is not an accurate reflection of whether you're recalling things that happened to you or an accurate way of detecting whether you have done bad things. None of those things, there is no evidence at all that this device, the e-meter or lie detector is actually capable of detecting these things. It's all about interpretation. And that is as subjective as Rorschach blocks. <laughs> blocks. Blots. <laughs> Sorry. So, okay, so that's my ramble about that. So you get through the tailor-made sec check. Then that's only the beginning of the security checking because once you finish that, you will then get a prepared list of questions covering all eight dynamics. Now, in my example, and for me personally, I got such a thorough workover on the second dynamic because of why I was sent to the RPF that when it came to the form covering the first, second, third, fourth dynamics, they skipped the second dynamic because I'd already been asked all those questions plus a whole litany more. The first dynamic, if I remember right, and this is all off the top of my head, I don't have the actual form anymore. It's not part of the RPF series, but the questions that are asked on the first dynamic might be, have you ever failed to take care of yourself? Have you ever purposefully done a bad job? Have you ever wanted to commit suicide? Have you ever, you know, and it's assumed if you had wanted to commit suicide that it was because of some bad shit that you did. Right. This is again, this is just baked into Scientology. It's all about Hubbard's twisted idea of personal responsibility. So the first dynamic questions are going to be all about you. 
um, not getting enough sleep, not getting exercise, you know, are you not taking care of yourself? Have you ever purposefully eaten badly? You know, this kind of thing. So you get cleaned up on the first dynamic, then you get then you get the second dynamic, and, and like I said, unless you get a tailor made like I did, the second dynamic is going to cover everything from masturbation to cheating on your spouse if you're married, uh, or girlfriend or boyfriend, right, um, partner of some kind, um, you know, withholding things from your partner. Um, uh, family, uh, you know, something with your parents, something with your kids, extended family. I mean, there's all kinds of questions poking and prodding around to find all of your moral transgressions in regards to the area of sex and family. Then the third dynamic group, your job, and that mostly is connected with your Sea Org job. They're interested in um, have you, you know, sla- have you ever purposefully slacked off? Did you ever leave your post early? Did you ever? Um, have you ever done anything? Have you ever done a half-assed job on purpose? You know, this kind of thing, right? Just endless numbers of questions about your work and your work environment or groups that you've been part of, clubs you've been part of. This stuff goes into your past, into your life. You get a real microscopic examination of, of your entire life by the time you get through all of these dynamics because it covers, you know, again, fourth dynamic. Once it gets to, once it gets past the third, the third was the long one. I think there were something like 76, 77 questions on the third dynamic on your job. Then the questions really taper off quick. Once you're through that, you're over the hump. Now, it could take years. In fact, it does. To get through at five hours a day, going back and forth again. Remember, it's not just you getting this. You're also delivering this to your twin. And you have to learn how to do that, by the way, if you're not already trained. And most people who hit the RPF are not already trained Scientology auditors. So, in fact, a lot of them don't even know how to use an e-meter. So they spend months in the classroom first learning how to do all this crap I'm describing to you. That's how I learned. I was an auditor before I hit the RPF, but I was not a trained sec checker. I had never done the false purpose rundown on anybody else. I'd never really done any kind of metered auditing to that degree. I had done, sorry, I had done a certain level of um, metered auditing on people. I had done up to level zero is what it's called. But I had not done this more advanced kind of auditing. And on the RPF, when you are trained in how to do this stuff, it is on a read it, drill it, do it basis. It's boom, boom, boom. You're right. You read the issue, describing how to do the process. You you practice it with some with your twin. You guys work each other over, practice how to do it, and then you get to it. So it's a fairly, it's meant to be a fairly rapid way of getting people trained in Scientology procedures so that they can co-audit one another. And the co-auditing, by the way, is done in a big open room. It's not done in a private office. So everybody can hear you. You're sitting literally like this right side by side with other people who are talking. They're getting off their crap. And it's a, it's a little tiny crowded room. And there's a supervisor who's sort of walking around behind the auditors so he can see the meter. He can see you. He can see what the auditor's doing. 
And he can jump in and make any corrections or fix things if they go off the rails. And the supervisors are more trained and more know what they're doing than the auditors do is the idea. So, um, and I eventually became one of those supervisors on the RPF because it was a hell of a lot easier than spending that time out doing tarring roofs, you know, so I wanted that kind of work. Okay, so you've trained on how to do this stuff, and it could take weeks or months to learn how to do it. Then you get to the sec checking, and you do the tailored sec check, and you do the full eight dynamics form, and then you might have to do what's called the truth rundown. And I have done an entire video on the truth rundown. I am not going to repeat that all here, but it's extensive, and it involves... Um, all the times that you were critical or spreading black PR about Scientology. In other words, you were, you were complaining you to other people loudly, right? To the point that it got noticed, that it got written up, because that's how they're going to know you were doing this stuff, is, is the reporting system in Scientology. So if you have a bunch of knowledge reports written about you, spreading black PR about David Miscavige, the Sea Org, not getting paid, you know, the conditions, stuff like that, then you're a good candidate for the truth rundown. And I'll link in the show notes here to that pod, sorry, that video so you can see that for yourself, what the truth rundown is all by itself. It is in and of itself, while the RPF is sort of the worst thing you can happen to you as a Sea Org member, as a Scientologist, the truth rundown is the single worst part of the entire RPF experience. And mostly that's where it's delivered for the most part. Okay. Now, let's say that you're one of those list one RSers. You're one of those nasty psychotics that Hubbard talked about that I was going on about earlier. There's an additional step you're going to need. And it depends. There's It's going to be one of two things depending on your level of case, how far you've advanced in Scientology. If you have not yet hit the OT levels or you are not yet clear, you've not yet hit the state of clear, then you're going to be receiving what's called expanded Dianetics. And without going into all the grim details of it, because it's a little complicated, let's just say that it's a kind of auditing that is seeking to find the evil purposes, the destructive intentions that you have with Dianetics processes, not, not just the, what's described in, in book one in Dianetics, the Modern Science of Mental Health. It's a more advanced version of that. And that's really all I want to get into explaining it, because otherwise we'd be here literally all day. Um, and this expanded Dianetics is supposed to dig in. In fact, the quote here is... Um, a thorough workmanlike handling of the PC's aberrations and contra survival intentions in all aspects of life and livingness that truly accomplishes changes for the better in the behavior, outlook, social presence, and conduct of the preclear. That is the description of expanded Dianetics, according to L. Ron Hubbard. So it's, it's another way of approaching and dealing with evil intentions. And there's a specific step on there that is supposed to get to the rock slam. Now, remember, when the rock slams happen, the list one rock slam that, that, that you know, let's say you were talking about L. Ron Hubbard 
and you were like, yeah, I'll run Hubbard. I've had some doubts sometimes. And the needle's like going, right? And they're writing this down. There's your L1 RS. So the auditor will, using expanded Dianetics, try to redirect you to that time and then do some expanded Dianetics stuff to try to further rip that rock slam out of the evil heart that is you, you psychotic nutcase, and uh, deal with that, okay? So that's if you're not clear. If you're clear or OT, there's an OT audited step. And that step is called step 16 of OT level five. So if you end up on the RPF and let's say you are clear and you have, an, and you have a list one RS, you got to get up to OT5 on the RPF. So there's an area of the RPF where you can actually do your OT levels. Confidential, the whole rundown, you know, you're going to learn about Xenu, body thetans, all that stuff, so that you can get to OT5 again with your twin, who also is going to have to be at the same level you are, case-wise, right? You can't get twinned with a non-clear person if you're clear or an OT because they can't audit you because they don't have access to all that confidential body fate and Xenu stuff. So even on the RPF, this can, this can become a barrier and doing the OT levels on the RPF is no fun because that involves all the stuff you got to do, the same stuff all the public out do, you have to do as a Sea Org member, but you're doing it five hours a day and so you can get up to OT level five, do this special step 16, which is yet another way of dealing with evil intentions and rock slams as an OT. Okay, and again, I'm gonna simplify and leave it at that, but that's the complication. And I knew OTs who were languishing on the RPF for years because they didn't have or couldn't find a twin that was at their level or they were just stuck. They just could not advance because they didn't have access, ready access to the materials or the person who was overseeing the case. They didn't have somebody of the OT level to be able to do that because it's a team action. It's not just an individual when you're doing the OT levels. You need other people to get you through them. And the RPF is a, it's, its own little universe. So if you don't have a supervisor who's OT and a case supervisor who's OT and all these people around you to deliver and get you through the OT levels on the RPF, well, remember earlier I said in the restrictions, you can't just walk over to the public area and do it over there. You're on the RPF. You're segregated. So if you have to wait for somebody else to come along who's also OT who can do that so you can do those levels, then you're waiting. And like I said, I saw people wait for a long damn time stuck on the RPF and there was nothing they could do about it except wait or leave, which is one reason why people leave the RPF and one of the reasons why people don't last on it very long. All right. So that step would then get done. Okay. The RSs have to get handled. And then you have, and you guys are going to love this, the RPF final assessment. With all previous steps of the RPF technical program completed, a final assessment is done to ensure nothing was missed. Now, an assessment in this case means 
an action that's done on the e-meter. It's not a sec check per se. It's a check that is done using the e-meter and a prepared list of questions. And the needle is watched. Well, it is a sec check because if the needle responds, if it reads on the assessment, if you're asking these questions and they get a response, then they're going to take the question up with you. And then you got to run it and do the whole FPRD thing and then come back and do the assessment again. The, the idea with the assessment is that the needle floats all the way through the assessment. You just have a persistent floating needle throughout the assessment. It Or clean. The needle is clean. It does not respond in any way. Preferably, the needle will be floating. But it can be a clean assessment. No ticks, no reactions, no hitches. That needle is just beautifully idly moving around while these questions are being assessed on you. And let me tell you what the questions are because I looked them up. There are 15 questions on the final assessment. And after I read them to you, I think you'll have a pretty good idea of why I call this program a Maoist reconditioning camp or re-education camp. Here they go. Regarding, int okay, int execs, by the way, are international executives of Scientology. That could include David Miscavige, but it could also include senior executives of Scientology, the leaders of Scientology, okay? So those are int execs or international executives. And RTC or RTC executives are specifically executive people that work for David Miscavige's organization, RTC, the Religious Technology Center. So you have international executives. I won't even bother enumerating all of them. I'll just say there are international executives who are the leaders, supposed to be the leadership of Scientology. And then you have RTC executives who are overseeing the enforcement of trademarks and the proper use of Scientology. That's what they're supposed to be doing. So you have these two different groups of people, okay? So the questions on the final assessment. Regarding int execs, do you have an evil purpose? Regarding int execs, do you have a vicious intent? Regarding int execs, have you been spreading black PR? Regarding RTC execs, do you have an evil purpose? Regarding RTC execs, do you have a vicious intent? Regarding RTC execs, have you been spreading black PR? Regarding LRH, do you have an evil purpose? Regarding LRH, do you have a vicious intent? Regarding LRH, have you been spreading black PR? Regarding LRH, do you have any bad thoughts? Are you secretly disaffected with management? Do you have any withholds from RTC? Do you have any intention to stop Scientology? Do you have any intention to stop Scientology dissemination? On your RPF program, has an evil purpose been missed? And those are the questions. So the, you are not expected to have to answer any of those questions. You just sit here holding the cans. The auditor reads the questions exactly as I just read them out to you, watching the needle on the dial and seeing if there is a response. And it's videoed. So the video, if you get a clean assessment, 
the video then goes with your full completion package of all the crap you've done in a box with your folder and the video and everything, and it goes to um, the senior case supervisor. Well, first it goes to the RPF IC. He has to okay it. Then it goes to the senior case supervisor for the Western United States, because I did it in, in the West U.S., then it goes to the senior senior case supervisor international, which is up at San, at the San Jacinto facility, and then it goes to RTC, and all those people have to look through all of it, uh, give it a final stamp of approval, and back it comes. And if they, if any one of those people finds something wrong with any part of the package that is submitted, the box, then it comes back with a reject, and then you have to deal with that reject. And generally speaking, what they do is they look over all the evil purposes and stuff that you run out, make sure they sound good, look good, everything's, you know, dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, uh, mind all your P's and Q's, and then they watch the video of the final assessment and they confirm that there was no little hitch on any of those questions. And if there was, if there was any little tick-tick of any kind, then it's back to the drawing board with that final assessment and you keep working it until you get it. I went over that final assessment, I think probably about 10 times before I had a clean final assessment. We had to run a couple of those questions and then that was that. So like you see here with those questions, they are all about, it's a loyalty test. It's 1000% a loyalty test. And the idea is that you're gonna finish this program and you're not even going to be able to imagine thinking a bad thought, an evil purpose, a vicious intent, a destructive intent toward L. Ron Hubbard, international executives, RTC, David Miscavige, or Scientology in general. That's the whole thing. Okay? <sighs> Took a little while to break all that down. I really, really hope that this communicated and communicated well. I have never sat down and done a full blow-by-blow blow like this, walking through the scriptures and the issues and everything. Um, obviously, you know, with all the stories I've told and we've had people on my channel talking about the RPF, you know that this becomes a very Lord of the Flies, you know, type of disgusting, horrible situation to be in. Um, the backstabbing, the infighting, the, the hierarchies, all of the stuff that goes on is no different than what goes on in prisons across the United States. Um, there is physical abuse, there is psychological abuse, there is emotional roller coasters and trauma and stress and depression and anxiety and everything that you can imagine happening in a tight group of people who are basically abusing each other 24-7 by mandate, by dogma, you know, what I read to you, I mean, are the rules. So that's how, you know, it's it's the Stanford prison experiment on steroids. And, um, and it is confession culture. It is, um, you know, it, it's, it is awful. And um, the attitude in the RPF is 1000%. You are there because you deserve to be here. And you are the one who has to earn your way out of this through your hard work, through the sweat off your brow, et cetera. So it took me three years, three months to get through this program. It was um, grueling physically and mentally. 
I have never experienced anything like it before or since. I would not wish it on my worst enemy. Um, I think there might be a kind of justice in making David Miscavige do it, so maybe I shouldn't be so quick to say that. But um, otherwise, I don't know, man. It's It was rough. You know, it's a rough, rough, tough situation to be in. And that's why I believe the numbers were, I think I ran the numbers when I was on the RPF. I had, I was doing a little project on the RPF where I got to examine the records of the RPF. I was doing a little administrative thing and trying to computerize some stuff. And so I had access to these records and I went through all the people who had done the RPF for like the last 15 years that we had records for, and I entered them all in, and who had graduated and who hadn't, and where had they bugged up on the program, or where had they left. And if I remember right, if I'm remembering this right, it was about 65 to 70% of the people who did the program didn't get through the program. Uh, Definitely, definitely, uh, if I'm misremembering that, there was absolutely no way it was less than 50%. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a grueling, grueling thing. And, you know, and good on those people who got the hell out of there early. They were the smart ones. We were the idiots who persevered and went through all the mind control and went through all the thought reform. And even with the strength and effort that went into doing all that to me, I still somehow resisted some of it. But I know plenty of people who absolutely did not. Or if they did, they covered it up real well, just like I did. You know, it wasn't obvious. I wasn't going to make a show out of my disaffection because why would I? I was on. I was in the worst place in the Sea Org, and I wanted the hell out of there. And this was within the first week. I was ready to say anything to get out of there. And it was three years later, three years, three months later, that I finally got out. So, uh, you know, smart? Not really. You know, I have a perverse level of pride in having persevered through that ordeal uh, only, only because I pulled it off. I actually made it, but hardly a badge of honor, hardly something to be recognized for. You know, it was just an awful, traumatic human rights atrocity. And I survived it, and I persevered, and I stayed in the Sea Org, but I was never really the same anymore after that. And let me tell you why, and I've said this before, but I think this will be a good capstone for this episode. The thing that happened to me on the RPF was I realized that I I had gotten myself into the worst possible situation, and I survived it. But I also knew, see, Scientology kind of did a number because in Scientology, you are taught that the only reason you're critical of the organization, the only reason you are critical of L. Ron Hubbard, of David Miscavige, of anything going on with the group is because of your own overts. That is the 1,000% only excuse you have for having disaffection or critical thoughts about Scientology is it's because you have been committing moral transgressions against Scientology directly. So I believed that was true when I landed on the RPF. 
And I felt horrible. I felt like a very degraded person. I felt like a you know, scum of the earth. And then I went through the process as honestly as I knew how to of confessing all of my sins, all my transgressions, answering all the questions as best I could, because I did believe in the E-meter at that time. And I thought that I had evil intentions from a trillennia ago. I thought that I was a spiritual entity who had blown up planets. I thought all of it was true. So I went along with the program and I confessed and I confessed and I confessed to hundreds and hundreds of questions worth of, of, of stuff. And after I was done, I knew at the most core level of my being that I didn't have anything more to confess, that I had said everything there was to say, every wrongdoing I could ever remember. And after all of that was done, I could still see problems with the organization, with the policy, with L. Ron Hubbard, and with David Miscavige, and with the RPF itself, with the Sea Org itself. I could see a legion of problems. I saw disorganization, confusion, a, a bureaucratic mess, a bunch of people yelling and screaming at each other all day long who were trying to be on the same page and trying to make the world a better place. But the internal struggles and the entire structure of the activity made it impossible, impossible to accomplish our goals. And all that happened as I got more and more of my own personal transgressions off and confessed willingly and ably and completely is it became clearer and clearer to me that the problems I was seeing were very real were not just figments of my imagination or manifestations of my own crimes or thought crimes. I, I didn't have any of that guilt to play on anymore. And I, and I, I didn't realize it yet, but, but the, the mechanism that Hubbard is playing on there is he's playing on your guilt. So when you are put in a position where you truly confess to everything you've ever done that you can do within the, within the power of your ability and memory, then you get a clean heart. You get that, you know, Hubbard talks about it being like a suit of armor that nobody can touch you when you don't have sins or moral transgressions. You become untouchable. Well, I was untouchable. I was in a place where I knew it wasn't me anymore. But that's where things reversed, because then when I knew it wasn't me, I knew it had to be the organization. It had to be the people around me. And it had to be that something up top was wrong. Something was wrong here. This was, we were not doing what I signed up for. And I no longer had any compunction or guilt or second thoughts or second guessing myself. So in that sense, the RPF worked on me because I was clear, I was cleared of my transgressions, and I could see the world more clearly beyond the, the shadows of my guilt, and I could see Scientology for what it really was doing. I couldn't yet see all of Scientology for what it was because I didn't yet have access to L. Ron Hubbard's real-life story 
his real war record, the FBI records of his deceit and dishonesty. I didn't have access to any of that. So I was still in this bubble world of knowing that L. Ron Hubbard was this genius. David Miscavige was the guy who was executing his vision. And somehow the Sea Org and Scientology were going to make it. I still believed that. But the confusion, the chaos, the disarray, the nuts, the, the people yelling at each other all the time, the, the, the physical abuses, all of that was crystal clear to me as unacceptable. And I no longer wanted to be part of that operation. And that was the point when it really started in my head, I have a plan B. I could get out of this. But it didn't yet manifest into a voice. It was still a dim idea in the back of my skull. And it took a few years after I got off the RPF and got out into the real world and got an opportunity to get out into the real world that I could play, compare, and contrast. And I actually physically got out of the bubble world enough to see that things in the Sea organ and Scientology were really off in a, in a really, in such a significant way that it was undeniable that it was the subject in the organization that was at fault, not the outside world. So that's what the RPF did to me and for me. At least as you know, in terms of what I want to share with you guys here today. Um, and so there you go. And uh, and with that, I was able to not, you know, I also felt I thought you guys might appreciate this, too. After the RPF, I really did feel like I had a suit of armor on because I had been through the worst that the Sea Org could dish out. There isn't something worse the Sea Org can do to you. I didn't know about the whole, of course. If I had known about that, then that would have been a whole different picture. But I didn't know about it. So I didn't know what David Miscavige could do to me. But I knew that within the paradigm of the Scientology policy and the written issues, and supposedly in Scientology, if it isn't written, it isn't true, so I had read the issues, I'd read the RPF series, I knew this was the worst that could happen, and I survived it. And after you survive something like that, you definitely get a little bit of attitude, you know? And I don't mean a bad attitude, I mean a, okay, I, can, I don't have to worry anymore about somebody punishing me. I wasn't concerned anymore about being sent to the galley to scrub dishes until four in the morning. To me, that would have been a vacation after the RPF. If you would have sent me to scrub toilets with a toothbrush, and nobody did, but if they had, I would have shrugged it off. After the RPF, there was no physical work somebody was going to assign to me that I was going to be terrified of or, oh, gee, that's going to be really rough. I don't know if I can do that. I had been on my hands and knees, practically licking the floor of every single space all throughout the pack base. I have a very intimate knowledge of every single, every single space on that property because of my time on the RPF. So there wasn't going to be, I wasn't afraid anymore. I think that's where I'm really trying to go here is I was no longer afraid. And before the RPF, I was so that's what it that's another thing that it did for me. So people yelling at me, people screaming, people threatening me. I didn't care anymore. It wasn't that I didn't care about my standing or about being in the sea org. It was that it didn't bother me. 
Not like it used to, not before the C, but before the RPF. Before the RPF, I was terrified of everything. And after the RPF, after you know you can survive that shit, you just go, yell and scream all you want. I, you're wrong. I'm right. I did the right thing. The policy says this. And you can yell at me for it all you want. I don't really care. Oh, you want me to go scrub pots? All right, I'll go scrub pots, but you're still wrong. And I was practically talking like that. Like there were a couple of people who really got pissed at me because I wasn't interested in taking their shit. You know, and maybe that was one of the reasons that I got sent out on the road. I mean, I don't really know anymore, but fortunately I got out on the road and um, with my new found attitude, I was quite the happy Sea Org member and I was out and about and I was seeing the world. And that's what exposed me to, like I said, the compare and contrast and gave me the freedom of mind to, to really start, you know, questioning deeply what I was involved in. And eventually, a few years later, because um, I believe it was 2009, 2000, I think it was 2008 or nine, I think it was eight that I graduated the RPF. And then, yeah, then I went to Bridge Publications for about nine months, and then I got out on the road. And they didn't really like me at Bridge because I, I wasn't, I didn't really care about their punishments and shit. People would yell and I'd be like, whatever. And uh, so I got out on the road and started doing recruitment, and I've told you guys all the rest of that story. So anyway, there you go. There you are. I hope this was educational, informative, and I hope entertaining. I know I've been going on a mad rate here. Thank you very much for listening, um, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.